Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com slash giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning, we are so glad to have each and every one of you here at service as we celebrate this wonderful day. As we remember God's grace, and are you thankful for His grace? Amen. And He offers hope to us, to all of mankind, for those who will put their trust and their faith in Him. Uh, You know, we've all faced times when we have uh, been the underdog, and if you haven't faced those times when you've been the underdog, then maybe you'll have an opportunity one day. Uh, And of course, we've uh, we've, uh, this uh, weekend, we kind of wrapped up some of the final four, and, uh, you know, like everyone enjoys the underdog, we've had uh, Loyola Chicago, those guys, uh, their last time they went uh, to the Final Four, I think, was in 1963, and uh, they won the basketball national title game with a score of 60 to 58. Now, we're not talking about yesterday, uh, but over, over time, they beat uh, a two-time defending champions, uh, the uh, Cincinnati Bearcats. They won in overtime. They had been trailing 15 points, like another team was yesterday, unfortunately. <clears throat> and for the first time in 1963, they, they made the run to the Final Four. Now, we know they didn't make it, but they were an underdog. They were a Cinderella, and they were enjoying their move up higher as they played the Blue Bloods and uh, didn't quite work out for them. But we all have opportunities. We all have opportunities as we are underdogs at times in our lives. Spiritually speaking, we've all been underdogs. And why? Well, the reason is, is that we are people who have chosen to go our own direction away from God. And you may say, well, not me. I'm not sure that if you, I should say, I'm sure that if you look back into your life, you may see some times where you recognize you decided to go on your own path and to walk the other direction from the Lord. You may not be a sports underdog, I don't know, but spiritual underdogs have a greater need when eternal life is in the balance. Today we're going to focus on two different guys, two different people in the New Testament, and they're in the life of Jesus, and Jesus, we see that He's betrayed, He's arrested, He's denied justice, we find that He is crucified and buried, and thank the Lord He is raised again. I want you to keep in mind that these two people that we are looking at today have the opportunity to take two different paths. They could have went right, they could have went left. The two guys I'm looking at this morning are Peter and Judas. They may not seem like underdogs, yet spiritually speaking, they both were. To Peter, Jesus basically called him a devil, and to Judas, uh, Scripture shows us that Satan influenced his life. And really, it's amazing knowing that they were both Jesus' disciples. They both had spent about three years with the Lord, and yet Jesus was not finished with them yet. God's not finished with you. I don't know your place in this life. I don't know your situation spiritually, but we have to recognize that God is not through with us yet. We're going to walk together through this account of Jesus and the disciples as He's with them. Judas and Peter are there in the final days with Him. And 
And there's a mob of people growing at this point in time. And the first mob was among those we saw last week as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and they, and they hail him king and they're, they're expecting a political king to come in and things didn't happen, out the, happen the way they thought. And, and this first mob has gone to the side and now we have this second mob, this undertow that has been moving and growing during the preparation for the Passover. Matthew chapter 26 verse 3 says this, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. This undertow has been forming. It's been, it's been coming to the surface now. And because Jesus has stood for righteousness in the face of the establishment of the day. And now Jesus tells his people in verse 2, he says, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be handed over and be crucified. Wasn't new. Wasn't something new. Jesus had already warned his disciples what was going to happen. And it, it's this... It seems unbelievable, but here Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, he, he uh, decides to give Jesus up. Judas is one of those insiders, one of the twelve who saw the miracles uh, when Je that Jesus performed. He would have seen uh, Simon, uh, who was restored from, from a leprosy. He would have seen Lazarus, who was raised from the grave after being dead for four days. How could someone go from being a friend, a, a person who is connected to Jesus right beside him and now go to opposing him? Well, disappointment happened. Let's look at this. Judas had two paths he could have followed. He still had those paths, but for Judas, something else seemed to be his focus other than Jesus and, and eternal life. It, it was money. We've seen it before. We've seen it in the passages and he was the guy who kept the cash and had taken uh, money from Jesus' ministry to use for himself in some fashion. And, and the Gospels give us a picture that if Jesus wasn't going to be this political king that they, they had hoped for, some were disappointed. And Judas was also seems to be one of those. So it could have been that he just wanted to salvage the time that he had taken to spend with Jesus and the other disciples and say, hey, let's get out of this thing, whatever I can get out of it at this point. And since he lost out now being on the cabinet of a, of a political king, and verse 14 says this in Matthew 26, it says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him. 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas wa watched for an opportunity to hand him over. He was looking for an opportune time. He was waiting for this. And just because Scripture said that someone would betray the Messiah didn't mean it specifically had to be Judas. Now the disciples had prepared the Passover meal and they were sitting down with Jesus. And we find here in Matthew 26, 20 that it says this, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. 
they were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. The disciples seemed a little bit shocked at this point. They may have spent the last, they have spent the last three years with Jesus. You know they had an idea that he could see a little bit towards the future. They knew, they knew that he understood what was taking place and, and now they knew Jesus could see ahead so well that I think they were honestly asking him and themselves, is it going to be me? You know, is it, is it going to be me? But finally, Jesus makes it plain over here in verse 23, and he says, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Now we know that was the special bread that was dipped that was given to the person who was seen as somebody special in that, in that uh, dinner time and that supper. And, and now you have this betrayer himself asking the same question as the others asked Jesus. And he said, then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You've said so. How could Judas be so brazen? He knew what he'd already done. Yet Peter was brazen too. If you step back and you think as you read through the Scripture, you find out that Peter also was a brazen man in some ways. And, and neither one of these guys were innocent bystanders. And the facts are that neither were we. I know we weren't there. But in many ways, I could, we could probably look back at our life and see times in our lives when we have not been the innocent bystanders. So the Bible says that all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Judas wasn't honest with Jesus and the other disciples by asking his question. And we know honesty is an important thing. Uh, one of our former presidents, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, he uh, had a time as a rancher and he had a lot of cattle. And he had taken one of his cowboys out and they were out uh, going to, uh, uh, to get, uh, bring some of the uh, cattle in and they found some strays. They had some, uh, a maverick steer. And the rules at that time were that if your cattle got out, it was unbranded, no one knew who it was, and it got on the other person's land and that meant it was the other person's cow. And so they had a maverick steer. He gets out there, and the other cowboys there, they, they rope him, and they get him down, and they're going to brand him, so they're prepping the, uh, the irons and everything. They light the fire. They're going to brand him. And so uh, Roosevelt says to his cowboy, he said, now you're not putting our brand on it because it was in the neighbor's place. And the guy's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's all right, boss. And he, then he asks him again, you're not putting our brand on it. And he said, it'll be all right. He said, no. He says, you need to get up, get your stuff, go back to the ranch and get out because if you will steal for me, you will steal from me. And he sent him out the other way. But like the cowboy, Judas was less than honest with Christ. How many times have you been less than honest with God or even yourself for that fact? It may not be theft, but it simply may be envy in the heart goes to show one thing, that every person has failed God in one way or the other. But there is something that we must not forget. And what we must not forget is that there is hope. And what is this hope I'm talking about? This hope is something very specific. And it's in the words of Jesus in verse 28. And He says this at the Last Supper. He said, 
This is the blood of my co- of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. This hope is that we can be forgiven through faith in Christ. Now, jo- Judas, maybe he could have made a better choice. Maybe Simon the Zealot uh, would have taken his place. We really don't know. We can only assume at this point. But Peter had two paths that he could follow. He had two paths as well. If you look at what happens with Peter in Matthew 26, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. You have to listen to Peter's uh, prideful response at verse 33. He says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus knew the truth. He knew the reality. And just like when Judas asked his dishonest question, is it me? Yeah, right. Peter's adamant. He said, I'm not going to run out on you, Jesus. And then Christ uh, cuts right to the core. He cuts Peter off of the past. And he says these words in verse 34. He said, truly, I tell you this very night. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Peter thought he had it all going. He thought everything was good and he was on. He was uh, one of the big three of Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they were the ones that were the closest to him and spent the most time with him and in times of prayer and different things. And they, some of the, those guys were out the transfiguration with him as well. So, so they knew him and they knew him well. But before we give Peter too hard of a rap, we have to recognize something else that was said there that uh, Matthew records. And all the other disciples said the same. But it seems here that the others were being were following Peter's lead. Peter was uh, was really he was always the forceful guy. He was the outspoken guy, and he was adamant there was no way that I'm going to leave you, Jesus. But it seems here that Peter had chosen the right path, but it was only in words. It was in words only. That's the only way. He really ended up just giving up. Live service to the Lord. Jesus had to set Peter straight. And that's what he does. His words were not directed to other, the other disciples, but towards Peter himself. And when he says, said these words, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He didn't say it to the others. The others didn't do that in the same fashion. I don't think that Jesus really enjoyed telling Peter these words because he cared for him. He had spent all of this time with them, about three years in ministry he would spent with him and pouring his life into him, trying to help him to understand the way God the Father viewed things and so that he could do the right thing on this earth. Peter wasn't the exception here, but as Scripture says, pride comes before the fall. Shortly that very night, Peter was going to fail Jesus and he did. Peter appears to have chosen the right path before they go and pray. It seems like he's going to follow the Lord and Jesus is now wrestling with the reality of the cross that's coming down of the pike and, and he prays, he says, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not my will, but as you will. 
Christ is there in the garden for prayer, and his disciples, maybe like us, they 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 conk out, they go to sleep. You know, it's night. They're they're try, they're tired, and, and they rest. And and here Jesus challenges them three times to stick it out in prayer. Uh, he says, "Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour?" And then he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Jesus sets Peter up. Look, you can't even stick with me in prayer and spiritual battle, but how will you handle the betrayal when it comes down the line? Have you ever made a commitment to the Lord only to let that thing fall through? And the Lord's like, Peter takes the wrong path. We see it here in verse 47. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him was a large crowd armed with the swords and clubs and sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And then he tells them, he says, hey, the, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him is what Judas tells him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and they arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for a sword, he drew it, and he struck the servant with the, of the high priest, cutting it off his ear. Now we know that Luke tells us uh, in his uh, gospel, he says that Jesus heals the servant and and then in John's Gospel tells us that, that Simon Peter was the one who cut off his, the guy's ear. And he tells us it was Malchus. Malchus. See, this was kind of a false start for Peter. He had said, hey, you know what? I'm going to stick in there, Jesus. I'm not going to let you go. Even if you die, hey, I'll die with you. And now it's this false start. It, it seems like Peter's going to back him up. And, and uh, But later we find in verse 58, we find that Peter followed Jesus at a distance, even to the courtyard of the high priest. And then he sat down and waited by the guard's gate. Peter's false start turned into complete failure. He messed up. He messed up. Verse 69 tells us a servant girl came to Peter. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. And I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then we find it happens again after that for the second time. And, and verse 73, then for a third time, we find that Matthew says, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. We know your accent. We know where you're from. Then he began to call down curses, Peter did, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster crows. Really, he's a picture of so many people today. The rooster called him on the carpet. It was his spiritual wake-up call. And I'm sure he's saying to himself, what have I done? I said I was going to back up Jesus. I was going to go with him. I would, no matter what took place. I'm sure that he was frustrated with himself. And I'm sure that Peter was embarrassed. He was probably disappointed as well. Disappointed that Jesus would have to go to the cross and he didn't stand up with him. Also disappointed that he said that he would do it adamantly. He may have been disappointed, but hopefully Peter got the warning of the Lord. He missed it before this, but maybe he'll catch on 
It pays to heed warnings. Uh, back in 1950 at the Monaco Grand Prix, an Argentinian race driver, got to give you a car one here, Argentinian race driver named Juan Manuel uh, Fangio discovered that after he had went through the opening lap in that Grand Prix that he's run, running around in his car as fast as he can, and he gets back to the spectator stands, as when he gets to the stands, something as unusual he looks, because normally when he would go by the stands, he would just see a blur, blur of faces there, and, and now he's coming to the stands, and everybody's head, are, they're turned, they're looking the other direction. And he's thinking, but they're always looking at the race cars. Why would they do that? Something's happening. And in a split second, he decides, hey, they're looking at something around the corner. And so he slams his brakes on and gets, comes around the corner only to find on the other side was a pileup of cars. He made the right decision because he heeded the warning that was given to him. Each of us need to heed the warnings that are given to us. They remind us to return to the Lord. They remind us to be able to reset our focus in the place that is most important. Not on KU winning or losing. We know where that went. Not on other things. But we have to be able to focus on the things that matter so deeply to our lives which affect us for eternal life. Judas thought there was no hope, but he was wrong. Matthew 27, verse 1 says, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, they led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, and he said, I've sinned, for I've betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, they said? That's your responsibility. Well, in reality, it was theirs as well. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and he went away and hung himself. A sad state. Judas gave up too early. He gave up too early. Really, Judas and Peter equally go against Jesus. They... One is more aggressive than the other, but they both go against Jesus. Yet in the end, Judas throws the coins to the temple in remorse for what he has done and does not turn back to Christ. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says this to us. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. He felt like there was no way back. And I know what scriptures say. I understand what it says, but his life, maybe it could have been different. What we need to consider is that God's grace is bigger than our own grace and what we understand. Jesus died for the world. Judas was gripped with remorse and he gave up a sad story. But no matter what your failure is, no matter how far you have went, no matter what your struggle is, no matter what the sin has been in your life, don't give up. Turn to Christ because there is hope. We have hope in Him. Now Matthew records in fifth, verse 50, and, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, He gave up His spirit. He was placed in a new tomb. It was cut out of the rock. and Jesus was dead and buried, yet there was still hope. 
The Romans guarded his tomb, but still, there was still hope. On the first day of the week, hope came alive. Jesus is alive again. He was risen. Something powerful took place at that point. God was finishing His work through Christ. Now finally we see something else. Peter found hope. Peter found hope. Jesus now appears to His disciples. He's been raised. He's been resurrected. And now He comes to meet His disciples to spend some time with them. And as He does, He confronts Peter again. He reminded him of the past, but that doesn't mean it was all negative. We find this in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 15. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So the Bible was plain that, that Peter was hurt, he, or we could say he was offended, that Jesus asked him three times if he loved him, and, and yet it was three times that Peter had denied Jesus in front of the guards. It was three times that he wouldn't stick, out, stick it out with him in prayer. Don't you think that Jesus felt bad at that point when Peter had denied him? Jesus wasn't getting Peter back. He wasn't doing that at all. He was making sure that Peter was sure that he would follow him no matter what came his way. He's basically saying, no more games, Peter. No more games. No, normal, no more false starts. Do you love me? Will you follow me with your life? Will you give me your life? If you notice how Jesus addresses Simon Peter, he calls him by full by his full name. He calls him Simon, son of John. Have you ever had a parent that's called you by your first name? Or by all of your name, I should say. I think when I've been called by my full name, it usually means something's wrong, something's wrong. Now you better fix it and correct it, right? That's just the way it is. And and Jesus is trying to get his attention here. Simon, son of John, hey, what are you doing here? doesn't seem far off from what's happening here in this situation. It's like Jesus was telling Peter, look, I know who you are. I know where you come from. I know your life. I gave my life for you. Simon, son of John, do you love me enough to give your life to me? He's challenging him. Jesus was making sure that Peter was certain that he would follow him. No more games. No more false starts. No, do you love me? Will you follow me? And by the time Jesus was indicted on trumped up charges, everyone was disappointed. If you look back, they were all disappointed. Judas, Peter, and the other disciples, they all were. 
that just like people today, one person will betray and another person will deny that there was still hope. He could have taken one of those two paths. Peter chose not to go the other path. He could have went to the path of despair and given totally up, but he chose not to do that. He was accepted by the forgiveness that Jesus had offered to him that was from the cross. He didn't allow despair to keep him from being redeemed like Judas held back. But my question as we wrap up this morning is this. What are you going to do with this? Would you stand with me this morning? You too have the opportunity to take two paths. You can either walk away from the grace that God has offered to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Or you can accept the grace, you can embrace the grace that God has given through the cross of Jesus Christ. And you can receive the hope that He offers to you in this day. And we're going to wrap up here in just a minute as, as the worship team is going to lead us in a few songs. But before we do, would you just bow your head with me as we pray? Father, I pray this morning that for each and every person here, Lord, that You would do a work in our hearts that we would refocus our lives. That our lives would not be focused on the little things. Oh yeah, sometimes they're important. Not to the level of eternal life. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to focus back on what you have to offer us. Just like you offered to Peter, which was grace and forgiveness. Father, I pray for each one.